The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
God with us.
Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere.
Good morning, church. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, we read, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then we follow that up in the book of First Peter, chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. And it says, each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, do so as one who speaks oracles from God. Whoever serves, do it as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, oftentimes whenever I'm standing up here on the stage and I'm, I'm playing the guitar, I get lost in the sounds of the songs that we play. I get lost in the notes. I get lost in the, the way things sound. And sometimes I fail to listen to the words that are being spoken. Well, not too long ago, it was a Sunday that I was up in the booth. And so I was able to sit and I was able to listen. And the praise team was playing a song that we've played over and over again. And I finally was able to listen to the words that that song was speaking. And it was though as being hit in the stomach or in the back of the head. And God said, listen, listen to the words that I'm speaking. You know, once I listened and I I read and I focused on the words of the song, I sat and I was in awe of everything. You know, the song that we're going to listen to for communion here in a minute is a song called I Speak Jesus. And if you listen to the words of that song, it's very convicting. You know, I'm going to ask, do you speak Jesus? But I want to I want to approach it in a different way. I want to approach it in not do you speak about Jesus? Do you speak Jesus? And here's where I'm going with this. Okay? All across the world, a person and a culture is identified by the language that they speak. If I'm in an English-speaking country, I'm identified as an English speaker. If I'm in a Spanish culture, I'm identified as a Spanish speaker. And more often than not, when a person is able to speak multiple languages, they are looked upon as being more sophisticated, more educated. You know, I'm impressed by people that can speak English and Spanish and German, and they can speak it all because they took the time to learn those languages. For me, I'm impressed when I can speak English. Sometimes I mix that in with sarcasm. I don't know. But taking it a step forward, do you speak music? Music is a language in and of itself. Or sign language. People all over the world are identified by the language that they speak. So shouldn't 
as born-again Christians, shouldn't our language be Jesus? We should be identified by how we speak Jesus. Do we speak his name all the time? Here's the problem, though. We can choose when we want to speak Jesus. You know, if it's convenient to us, hey, I can, I can be that, that good example. But if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, or I'm in a crowd that I may not be looked upon appropriately, I can take my Jesus language and I can stick it in my pocket. And I can pull it out when, I'm, when it's convenient for me. But as born-again Christians, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to speak Jesus all the time. That should be our language of choice. That should be our, our identifying language. Do you speak Jesus? The words of that song, I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you have started this new year, but God does. You know, last week, Wayne challenged us to find our mindset for the new year. You know, God promises us that when we speak his name, there's peace. When we live in his presence, there's peace. When we speak Jesus, Jesus is our identifier. Jesus is our language. Not just a language of convenience, not just a language of appropriateness, or all the time language. Right now, we are staring headlong into a brand new year. From right now, we have 364 more days that we can write our book for this year. Stand with me and choose Jesus. Choose to speak Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your promises and for your blessings. As we sit here this morning, we ask that in this new year, that you bless us with the ability and the courage to stand up and stand in your name. Lord, I pray that every day we choose to speak your name, that we choose you as our language so people will identify you through the way we act and the way we speak. Lord, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Isn't it amazing how just a, a simple changing of order can, can change all of the momentum, can change all of the meaning of everything, a different perspective. I was sitting with a college student one time, 
And he said, I want to live a radical life for Jesus. That was a cool comment. I said, well, what do you mean by that? We were just having coffee. And I was like, what do you... He said, man, I want to go overseas. I want to be a missionary. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to do something of value. And then that was cool because a lot of our young people are very socially active. And they, they want a social activism. They see it as doing something. But the more I visited with him, it was fairly quick to see that it wasn't just wanting to improve the world. It was he wanted to be significant. He wanted to make a difference. He used that word radical a lot. I think he wanted to distance himself from what you and I would call a normal life, an ordinary life. So I asked him this. I said, do you think Jesus lived a radical life? He said, oh, yeah, Jesus was the most radical of all time. I said, yeah, but he really only ministered three years. Three, three and a half years, basically, is the, the extent of his ministry. For most of his life, he was an obscure carpenter, a mason that, that built things for homes. Was that radical? Maybe we have a poor definition of the word radical. Maybe we need to... To change it. You see, culture tells our young people that influencers are radical. They make a difference. It's interesting to me, though, I looked up the word radical. It comes from Latin, radicalis. It sounds Greek, but it's actually Latin. And radical means roots. That is not what I would have expected that to mean. The radical is the invisible part of a plant or a tree it's what measures its life and strength. And I got to thinking about that. The most radical Christian is not the one that exp- appears to be extraordinary. It's the one that, whose unseen communion with God is extraordinary. We're starting into this series, People of Prayer. 31 days of focus on prayer. I hope you saw the green sign uh, as you came in. I hope you're seeing these things on social media. 31 days of focus on prayer as we start January 2022. Now, these social media videos we're going to have uh, are people from our own congregation. Uh, like we said, Elijah did one. Uh, uh, Ryan Ruiz did yesterday's. Uh, Franklin and uh, Reagan are putting those together And it's all to renew our habit and renew our roots of prayer. And you'll see this green slide. It's going to come up here in a second. And I hope you see it around 31 days. Now, if you think of the habits of Christians, prayer should be right at the top, shouldn't it? I mean, that kind of is a given. But what prompted me to do this is some of the the surveys I was reading. A survey was done in 2018 by the Pew Research Group. Now, that is not a Christian organization like Barna. This was a school that did this. Pew Research Group actually did some study out at Eastern a few years ago, and they were rated very highly on it. And they were dealing with religious preferences of, of people. And they asked a plethora of questions on about 10,000 people. And they asked this question, do you talk to God regularly? said yes. But when they asked him, do you talk to God daily, that dropped to 16%. 
I thought that was interesting. And when they broke that 40% and 16% down, they broke it into religious backgrounds that pray daily. Here's some of the information. People that identified themselves as Jehovah Witnesses prayed daily 91% of the time. Mormons, 85% of the time. Muslim, 81%. Historically, black churches, 80%. But mainline Protestant churches, which is kind of what you and I are, 51%. That That was a little stinging to me. You see, prayer is supposed to be our calling card. It's supposed to be what we're known for. But the data says it isn't really. You see, the apostles, they asked Jesus, how do we pray? You notice they didn't ask, how do we heal people? How do we organize a church? They asked, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. You see, the Jews that they knew, they prayed. But the followers of Christ saw something different in how he prayed. Jews often prayed to control God or to display their piety to everyone else. Remember that parable about the the Pharisee was standing up, oh, thank goodness I'm not like that guy. And, and then off in the distance there was a tax collector and he was saying, oh, forgive me, God, I'm a sinner. Jews would often pray to make it look good. They did this to relate to God, uh, the, to relate to religion. Jesus prayed to relate to God. It was the root of his strength and power was his prayer life. And we're supposed to be praying to be close to God. And I'm wondering if we're missing this. Because Jesus presupposes that we will be a people of prayer. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 if you want to turn there. If you're joining us online or on the radio, I apologize for what you're hearing. If, if you're just tuning in on the radio and you're hearing this voice, it, this is what it is. Sorry. But Jesus presupposes that we are going to pray. Now this is Matthew 6. This is a very familiar passage. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus starts with the Beatitudes, the things that you should think. And then he goes into teaching how to act out this Christ follower life. Pick up with me in chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, when you pray. It doesn't say, if you pray. It says, when you pray. He knows that a believer is going to pray. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth that it... That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the people of the other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Another thing that prompted this series was a book, a little book I found by Leonard Ravenhill. And the the title of the book is amazing. The title is called, When Revival Tarries. Ravenhill wrote it in 1959, uh, but it's it's been reprinted like 20 times. And this is one of the quotes that is in the preface of the book. The Cinderella of the church today is the prayer meeting. This handmaid of the Lord 
is unloved and unwooed because she's not dripping with pearls of intellectualism nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. It's this idea of people coming together to pray. Well, that doesn't seem like that does anything. And it's unloved and unwooed. And that concept of when revival tarries, that we see in our culture a a desire and a need for revival. Anybody argue that point? Why is it happening? The Barna Research Group polled 10,000 evangelical Christians and they asked them what is the role of church leaders, pastors, elders, deacons. Here were some of the things you would recognize them. Number one was evangelism, outreach. They said 46% of the time that the leaders should be involved in outreach. Uh, Next was preaching, what I'm doing, 35% preaching and teaching. But what fell dead last was prayer. 3% said that should be the job of the leadership. I, should, I kind of think that should be job one. But here's where we get. And I don't want this series to be a you better and a guilt. and a, No. The goal of praying, the goal of prayer is not achievement, but alignment. It's not how much you pray or how many hours did you pray or did you pray enough or did you pray for these kind of things. It's did you get aligned with Jesus? You see... He didn't pray like most most people. Jews were very liturgical. Many of you come from a liturgical background, and you know what that means. There are books of prayers. You you read them, and that's fine. Some people are really trained like that, Catholic, Episcopalian, things like that, that you come from, hey, we just follow the line. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus came along, and often he spoke in Aramaic, which was a conversational language of the people. And when he prayed, he saw God the Father, Abba. He talked personal. And that was different. That was way different than any of the culture. He, he saw God as approachable. And how you see God affects how you talk to him. When the apostles said, teach us to pray, that's in Luke chapter 11. It's parallel to the passage we said we looked at earlier. And Luke chapter 11 teaches how to pray. Jesus responds with a couple of parables. One about a neighbor needing bread late at night. And another one about a son asking a father for fish. And, and we overthink this. Don't overthink this. What Jesus is trying to tell you is this is about alignment. And what is your prayer life like aligned with God? You see, the key to an active and successful prayer life is alignment. Are you aligned with the Father's will? Or are you going to the Father with your agenda? With, hey, this is what I want. Now, we're going to discuss that too. But are you aligned with the Father's will? Because the key to an active and successful prayer life is alignment. And it's funny to me, we want to go back and we want to look at those, those parables, the parable of the father and the son and the fish or the the parable of the neighbor coming late at night and needing and we want to exegete it and we want to break those things down and we want to really tear them apart it's it's i think sometimes we get a little overworked on those kind of things and make them too much it's not about magic incantations oh we got to do it this way it's not about a formula it's about a relationship jesus is calling followers to be real 
to just talk to him, not be like the hypocrites. Question, are there hypocrites in the church? Of course. And if anybody gives you that complaint, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, just tell them, hey, we got room for one more. We got plenty of space for you, all right? Because we all are, yes? We all blow it. We all have great ideas and great mindset. And I'm not saying we want to, but we are trying to be honest here. We're trying to be real. God seems to dislike the people that pray professionally. And he's drawn to the ones that, that pray from the heart. Does that make sense? I'm thinking of Hannah in the Old Testament. She could hardly speak. She was just crying. I'm, I'm thinking of David's psalms when he's just pouring out his heart. It's like, hey, you finally took off the mask. You're finally real. If we want a radical life with Jesus, it's got to start with time on our knees. If we want a radical life with Jesus, it's got to start with time on our knees. Now here's the confusing part. A lot of you are sitting here and you're listening to this, but you're in your head you're replaying, but Don, we prayed and Grandma still passed away. Don, we prayed, but it was still cancer. Don, we, we did that and it didn't work out the way we wanted it to work out. And it causes people to have a, a doubt in their, in their prayer life. Because we've all seen answered prayers, have we not? Yeah. We've all seen, you've probably got stories in your life, we've all seen answered prayers. But we've probably all seen prayers that didn't come back the way we wanted them, true? Now, we'll call them unanswered prayers. I don't think that's true. I, I, I think God answers every prayer. Please, I'm not in any way mocking Garth Brooks and his song, okay? It's a good song, all right? The dude's amazing. But the concept is there, okay? Unanswered. It's not really unanswered. It just didn't answer it the way we wanted it. i got to be honest with you. I don't know that I've ever had that lightning bolt moment. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of us want that. We want to pray, and we want it written in the sky, and we want this booming voice to tell us turn left at the next sign you know we want to know what job we're supposed to take we want to know what relationship we're supposed we want to know what the steps are sometimes prayer doesn't work that way have you ever wondered if your prayers aren't get aren't even getting past the ceiling anybody been there i guarantee you have i spend a lot of time wondering if the only thing that hears my prayers is the steering wheel I'm yelling at the steering wheel or I'm singing to the steering wheel or does it ever get past that? You see, one of the hardest parts of the Christian walk is this idea that we are sacred and we are secular. We are lost between two worlds, a spiritual world and a natural world. And we tend to compartmentalize our lives. We, We have this church life, well, Sunday or Saturday night, and we act right and we sin less and we we post pretty verses and we point out other people's wrongs. And then we have this other life 
that is the Monday through Saturday. It's the money, it's our time, it's our raising our kids, it's our job, it's our eating. It's all the everyday mundane stuff. And we're caught in both places, and we find no peace in either one. Friends, prayer is the habit of living in both worlds. Prayer is that bridge that takes the mundane and makes them marvelous. It is when you are in a habit of prayer that suddenly, that's the Grand Canyon, that that suddenly it's not just snow, it's, wow, we got moisture, our land is so dry, we've had so much wind and so many tumbleweeds, wow, it's not, oh, this is really inconvenient, you hear what I'm saying? The prayer bridges that. The, the habit of prayer bridges those both worlds. Do you realize when Paul is challenging us, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. A little bit of what, what Jeremy was saying. Do you realize that Paul even, excuse me, he mentions eating and drinking? He, he really lists that as one of the things. While you're eating and drinking, do it to the glory of God. Every... Everything, even the mundane, the whole life is one. Prayer is surrendering my mundane, my everyday, my what am I going to do in 2022, my fears, my anxieties, and letting him make it marvelous. Philip Carey once said, to pray is to be awake. Now, like I said, I don't want this to be a guilt series. I don't want this to... I want us to look at why we're praying and how we pray and what are, what are some of the obstacles in our prayer life. And I want us to have a habit of prayer where we are truly devoted to prayer. But the bigger point is this. God's character matters a lot more than mine. You see, that culture... God's response to prayers was based on the person's righteousness, on their relationship, you know, on, a, on how many things did you go to temple this week? Did you do everything right? It was based on did you do all of the right things? But Christianity is based on the relationship. In that culture, honor was, it was an honor-based culture. Reputation was utmost important. But Jesus puts the habit of prayer squarely on the character of God, not on my character. It's not based on me. It's not, it doesn't, God doesn't answer our prayers because we are worthy or because of our reputation. He answers our prayers because of his reputation. It's not based on worth or deserves. But there again, we're back to this conflict. Well, but Don, that lady was sweet. She didn't need to die early. And, or that guy, they, they were still raising kids. And why did that happen? That doesn't make sense. He didn't deserve that. It's not based on deserve. It's based on God's purpose. We don't have to convince God to act on our behalf. And prayer is not religious nagging. God, you better hear us because... Little sister so-and-so still sick and we're just keep praying. It's not that. It's prayer is simply asking God to be God. Does that make sense? It's, it's saying, God, your plans are bigger than mine. I have an agenda. And too many times I'm trying to cram my agenda into God's. And he's saying, just let me be God. You see, if Jesus was serious about prayer, then prayer ought to be, uh, prayer is not an 
oughta. Prayer is a must do. Let's see if I can make some sense of that. There are things we oughta do. You hear you hearing me? Oughta do, supposed to do, you know. And and oughta do prayers, people that pray oughtas, they seem to be steeped in religion. Steeped in or perceived to be in this is what we're supposed to do. I wonder if sometimes we act as if we're doing God a favor when we're praying to him. Like a New Year's resolution. All right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray a bunch more. Like we're doing him a favor. Deep down, ought to do prayers suspect life would be fine without prayer. My question to you is this. Why do you pray? Why? Is it because you're supposed to? Is because you oughta? Is it a self-help program to better yourself? You see, that's the oughtas. But a must-do prayer, must-do prayers are seen in hospital waiting rooms. In uh, must-do prayers are in desperate situations. They they've been handed divorce papers. Must-do prayers are people that are in our recovery classes and celebrate recovery or AA or some of the different organizations we have. Desperate souls that understand they have no control over reality. It is a desperation. They pray because they are convinced of their utter they're utterly convinced convinced of their need for God. Prayer is more than an activity. It's or or even a habit. It's like oxygen. It's I have to have it to live. Is my prayer life that desperate? Do you pray like that? Is prayer your last resort or is it your first move? Not just in desperate situations, but in a desperation of more of you, God. I don't want you to leave this place working harder at your religion. I want us to be desperate to be with Him, to be in His presence. That's why we're doing this 31 days of prayer. We will be a people of prayer. We will live radical lives. And I believe Ravenhill's book is powerful. I believe revival is waiting. And it wants to happen. And God wants to give revival. We need it in our country. We need it in our city. God's people need to be in prayer. Saw a story this week. And I'm going to finish with this and invite our praise team to come back up. I saw a a story about a little girl. So the kid was sitting at the table and mom and dad were there. And and mom and dad were whining about the the culture and whining about the government and whining about everything else that was out there. And it was a new year. And and mom said, this this is a terrible, it's going to be a terrible year. Look at all the division. Look at all the fighting. Look at all the... In fighting, I can't even imagine that anything good is going to come out of this new year. And the little girl pops up and she says, I think this year is going to bring flowers. And they looked at her and went, it's kind of an odd response. Why do you think this year is going to bring flowers? She said, because I'm going to plant flowers. Maybe that girl had a good idea of what was going on. 
maybe this year is going to be great, not because great things are going to happen, but we are going to plant great things in our heart, great habits in our heart, great moments of surrender where we have an hour of prayer, a sweet hour of prayer, or a, a time of surrender, or, or just get into the, the process of being in His presence every day. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.